afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Gary Harvat from Fed Claims. I'm from the Client Success Team, and uh, I'm joined here by today by my esteemed colleague Chuck Humphrey from our Compliance Team. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. We have a uh, informative program for you, and it's something we hope that uh, will prove beneficial. Uh, to all of you who are listening in today. So thank you again for joining us. Um, just a couple things before we do get started. Uh, this is a webinar format. So if in fact, along the way you have a question, it is a two-way street and you can ask questions. If you go to the bottom of your video screen, you will see a little icon that says something like Q&A. If you wanna type your uh, question in there, uh, we will receive it and uh, do our best to answer it for you. Of course, uh, we've tried to do our homework on this as much as possible, uh, but if you throw us a curveball, uh, we will get back to you in every, every way, shape, and form. So uh, let me just uh, welcome you once again and say hello to my colleague, Chuck. Hi, Chuck. Hello, Gary. It's good to be with you once again for yet another COVID-19 webinar. They just keep coming, Chuck. And, you know, I think like we both celebrate the day when we don't have to do anything else related to COVID-19, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Yeah, but it's been, uh, it's been fun uh, getting together and we certainly uh, enjoy informing our clients and our friends and uh, look forward to just having a good discussion today. Yep. But before we go any further, it is National EMS Week, uh, something that you and I are very proud of because it's part of our fiber for mine since 1974. Um, got a couple years under my belt. Uh, I don't practice anymore, but I'm still a card carrying Pennsylvania paramedic out there. And Chuck, I know you're still active out there. So God bless you. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, you know, to everyone listening that's active, um, kudos guys uh, and ladies and gentlemen, we really appreciate you guys. Absolutely. And this year, of course, as we as we reflect back, uh, my goodness, the, the work that all of them, all of the folks in the pre-hospital community have uh, have done serving their um, community and their fellow man. Um, it 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 just sets me back. It makes me it, it's already choking me up. I can feel it in my throat. Um, so we uh, we extend our deepest thanks and tell you to just hang in there, keep up the good work, and with any luck at all, there's good things happening in EMS. So today, we are going to talk about the CMS Treat in Place Waiver. Now, there's a lot of talk about this. We've already received a lot of questions. Uh, if you take a look at this slide and you want to snip it, uh, you can do that right now. There's more information that you can read uh, about the treat and treatment in place as well as the American Rescue Plan legislation at any time. And if you don't have time to snip this or don't write it down, uh, give us, drop us an email. We'll send you the links. That's no problem at all. But as I said, and Chuck and I will both concur that we've received a fair amount of questions about this. And uh, you have to understand uh, it's pointing the ship in the right direction and there's good things happening and it's great that we have their attention, but there's a lot of things that the waiver is not. And I want to make sure we're very clear on that because it is not a fundamental change in Medicare policy, even during normal times. So that when there's no emergency, um, there's you know, no public health emergency out there, 
This really does not apply. So it's really very important that we understand that from the get-go. And it is not, not authorizing payment for everyday routine treat no transport. And this was probably one of the biggest questions we received, Chuck. Yes. Uh, people were thinking, finally, finally, CMS yep. has come around and they're gonna pay us for it. Not the case, but again, I think this could be an eye opener as we move through this um, for uh, some of the folks um, at CMS. So, you know, we have to prove ourselves and I think this is a, a good first step. And it is not payment for refusals, AMAs, refused against medical device, uh, medical advice. I refuse to be transported because I just don't wanna get COVID. It's not that either. So just a couple things that we wanna make sure we emphasize here at the outset of our talk today. Chuck will do a majority of the heavy lifting, um, but along those lines, and it is not an applicable waiver to non-emergency transports, only to 911 emergency transports. Again, it is not applicable to NETS, to non-emergency transport. And for those of you that are familiar with ET3, as are Chuck and myself, um, this ET3, it does not apply to ET3. So if, uh, you know, there's only a select group of folks in the ET3 study, and most of you are probably familiar with what that is, um, it does not apply to that either. Um, more to come on ET3. We've done a few uh, webinars and podcasts on this, and we'll continue to update you. Um, again, another thing that I think may end up being a good thing down the road, but for right now, uh, this waiver does not apply. It does not also, it also does not apply to ALS2 or DOAs. It does not apply for payment for telehealth, although telehealth could be, could services could be used, and there are stipulations there, and it does not ap apply to transport to alternative destinations. So just so you understand that. Okay, um, the timeline here is, and this is a little confusing, and Chuck, feel free to jump in here if you wish. It's retroactive to March 1st of 2020. Again, not Mar March 1st of 21, but it is March 1st of 2020, or the effective date of your community-wide protocol specific to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, treatment in place services provided 3-120 through 5-520 can be, can be provided, but um, that goes up to what, Chuck? 5-5 five, five of 22. Yeah. So think of March 1st, 2020 as the floor. Right. So that is the earliest date that if, and we'll talk about this in a minute. Sure. If you if you're a service and you want to bill retroactively, that would be the first date. However, if your protocol didn't come into effect until after that date, then the date of, say it started in May of 2020, then that's your floor. The overall floor would be March 1st. Your floor would be the date of your protocol. So if you want to go back and bill retroactively for any of that period prior to when this rule dropped, which was May 5th, you have uh, that year from May 5th to get those retro claims built. If a new protocol comes into place, May 6th and after, then it's that day and you have one year from date of service until the end 
of the public health emergency. Chuck, just a question that I think we talked about before we started today. How about if my protocol began before March 1st, 2020? Let's say it began January 15th. Can I go back to January 15th? You cannot, no. Okay, very good. All right, um, so let's move along here. Um, and I think we've covered that, what it is not. Um, and I'm gonna turn this over to Chuck just to talk a little bit about section 9832 and we'll move forward from there. Again, folks, if you have questions as we go through today's program, don't be backward about asking. The only foolish question is the one that goes unasked. Chuck. Yep. Thanks, Gary. So I just wanna, uh, you know, this is all based on section 9832 of the Social Security Act. And this is the, um, the, the portion of the legislation that now allows for a temporary waiver of this sort for payment for not transporting moving forward in any emergency period. So this could apply potentially to any public health emergency that could arise for natural causes, for another pandemic. You know, um, let's hope none of that ever happens. But so it's, it's what we're going to talk about is specific to COVID-19 today. But this language now is in place for any future public health emergency that may arise that isn't COVID-19. So I want to make that point because it's a change moving forward, uh, unless, of course, Congress decides to make this an across-the-board, um, you know, change, fundamental change down the road, and, and we'll see what that happens over the next several years, like we said, as they consider uh, uh, ET3. But it is based now as something that CMS can enact in a waiver for any similar type of emergency. And G, you can go ahead and advance the slide. Yes, so this section 9832 of the American Rescue Plan uh, of 2021 is basically there are three main points to this waiver, where this applies and wanna make this. So this is the bedrock, a foundation will build a house on this. Uh, first of all, this is the service furnished in response to a 911 call. Now, when we talk about 911 call, the definition of a 911 by CMS is a, an actual 911 system or an equivalent in areas that don't have 911. And I think that's very few and far in between today. It used to be more of a prevalent. But really, the, the meaning of that is that it is in a service dispatch protocol area. So this would be the call that comes in and why they're delineating that is to make the point between those services who may get a call direct from a nursing home that's an emergency and there are extensions of that emergency definition whereas even that call taking system would have to have similar protocol and EMD trained personnel in place. So they're really limiting this and I have to stress and, and I'll give a lot of props to the American Ambulance Association, a lot of props to folks like our friends at Page Wolfberg and Worth, who um, have given a lot of uh, lobbying guidance to this and have boiled this down for all of us. But I really give them credit for um, their making mention during their uh, communication on this that the General Accounting Office at the federal government level has scored this very low. They don't feel they're going to have to pay a lot out. And the other caution here, folks, is, and we want to caution you, and I'm going to do this several times, you're going to hear me, 
is that we don't want everyone to think that this is, oh boy, you know, all of a sudden we're going to be bill all these. Um, in fact, CMS was very hesitant. The, the legislation rolled out and there were several weeks till they issued this waiver because they mulled over the fact, do we even want to do this because we're afraid that people will take advantage of it? And so we kind of in the industry have to prove ourselves that we're going to be very controlled with this. So, uh, you know, I want to make that point that this is a small subset potential of, of billing claims. So with that in mind, it is the 911 and basically based on that uh, dispatch protocol model, the patient must meet medical necessity guidelines. Now you say, well, we're not going to transport them. Yes, but you would transport them if. So medical necessity has to be in place. So I often use, and maybe it's a bad example, but I'm going to use it because I think it's the best one that I can come up with always, is that call for tooth pain. And you've all had them. You know, where you scratch your head and say, what in the world? Now, I guess a tooth pain could be an emergency in some situations, but in most cases, this is the call where, you know, you, you really don't have to be there, but someone decided they were going to pick up the phone and call 911 and, and you got dispatched. So it has to be a medically necessary patient. And then finally, and here's the key, this patient would normally have been transported, but you chose not to due to direction from a community-wide emergency medical service protocol that was in concert with the COVID-19 public health emergency. So you were dispatched 911, you arrived on scene to find a patient that truly did need your services. And normally without COVID in place, you would have loaded that patient and transported them to the closest appropriate facility but under protocol that existed community-wide and not just limited to you in your service, although that possibly could be the case in the event that you're the only provider within a wide area, but it would apply to any ambulance that was considering transporting a similar patient to a facility in your area. And you didn't transport them because the protocol said, don't bring them here because we're already inundated and we don't want to infect that person. Or your assessment of the patient found that they were possibly infected. They had symptoms and or had a positive test and transporting them to that facility potentially could have infected other people. So under normal circumstances, you would have taken them because there was some kind of COVID um, possibility now protocol says, nope, we believe that if you stabilize that patient, you let them go. And another good example of that would be like a respiratory distress. You go out, you give them, a, you know, I've, I've asthma, so I have an asthma attack every now and then. Thankfully, I'm able to hit my inhalers and, and I'm good. Maybe this person is somebody that the inhaler didn't work. You went out and you gave them a breathing treatment. They suddenly, you know, they cleared up to the point that they, they could oxygenate um, um, uh, effectively. You might probably got on the phone, called command. Command said, yeah, you know what? Normally I would have seen him, but um, let's leave him in place because um, we've got things going on here we don't want to expose him to. And then that would be the situation where this would come into play. All right, Gene. So again, it was, it's, you know, the best way to think about it is the treatment in lieu of transportation. In cases in which this individual patient would have been transported to a destination and that's a destination permitted under Medicare regulations. And we talked about, and I had a question from uh, one of our clients a few days ago 
about alternative destination. That's a whole nother direction um, under the public health emergency that was allowed for segregating population. This particular waiver doesn't include that. So don't mix the two up. That could still be a situation that's in play, uh, such as, you know, you were taking patients who were COVID affected to a hotel where they were setting up a field hospital, or you were taking non-infected patients to somewhere to, to move them out of possible infection. Um, this would not be that. That's part of what we've talked about in the past in a public health emergency, but this waiver is strictly treatment in place. And again, patient symptoms were consistent, patient was known infected, and, and or the patient was not presumed, but transporting would potentially expose them because the destination was just inundated with those patients. Now, let's talk about the community-wide protocol because there are four basic points that we wanna point out uh, to you about the community protocol. First of all is the timing of it. Um, this protocol had to be in effect at the time of your dispatch of 911 emergency. So there is no retroactive protocol application here. So you can't come up with a protocol and backdate it and say, okay, all my trips during that period fell under that protocol. Not, not the case, okay? Now, you can establish new protocol, but it's not just you establishing it. You just can't come up with a document there and say, okay, we're going to operate under this. This has to be something by a regulatory body. And I say that and look at the author in our next point. Typically, this is state or it could be a local or regional directive protocol, depending on the state you're in and what permissions are given to those local authorities to lay down those protocols, okay? but it would have to be something that would be more blanket. Now, the hospital directed or verbal protocol is allowed. This is, gets a little muddy and, and, and this makes me uneasy, but it, it has to be spoken to. So the written is kind of concrete. You have a date, it was in place, it's down and we can book back to it, okay? They had to allow, and I say they, CMS had to allow for some kind of verbal protocol, but they made the point to state that they believe that in time, the verbal protocol would have been um, memorialized historically in writing. So if you had a verbal protocol in place that arose in the moment, say in a week, like say in New York State where things just went off the charts, okay? Reasonably, you would have recorded that somewhere. Or if you did not record it written, then they're cautioning that you should really have some kind of command recording from the command physician that was ordering you not to because that day they were on diversion due to COVID. Okay, it wasn't your typical diversion. So in areas where you normally experience diversion, this isn't that hospital on, you know, your, your normal diversion or diversion because you had a, you know, an MCI and you had a lot of traumas and, you know, you're in code black or whatever the case may be. This is for the pandemic again. And again, now we get kind of muddy where you would really need to probably have the tapes from that. And can you retroactively grab them? Well, that's a good question. And if you can't, then it's off the table if that isn't memorialized in writing. So just keep that in mind. And G can advance there. The type of protocol, again, it's specific to COVID-19 and it needs to state that. So due to COVID, you know, protocol number ABC was in place and it would state what the parameters were for not transporting. 
it's an outright blanket restriction um, that, or it allowed application with patient consent. And again, this is the kind of thing that you would say, you know, uh, Mr. Smith, um, normally I would transport you, but um, you know, the, the hospital's really not favorable to that. And um, um, we're going to leave you in place. It's not that they said, well, I'm really scared. I don't want to go. This would be uh, fall under protocol. And then it would be obviously be applicable to all the ambulances in your area, not just a singular ambulance, unless you're in an area where, you know, you're the only player, but still it would be something that came down from the regulatory body. Now let's talk about documentation. You'll notice I, I put this together, put it all in red, made it stand out, call your attention to it, okay? Um, written protocol documents have to be in place or if verbal again, CMS expects that to be memorialized or you actually have the medical command recording. I'm gonna stress that once again. This is what needs to be in the history down so we as your biller, so you can grab it. Because remember, what we always look for is an audit situation, two, three, four, five, six, seven years down the road. Um, an auditor comes in and they show COVID what? I would think that's probably a big possibility. No, but you know, how, well, that didn't apply. I don't remember that. Let's, and then it's our onus to, to substantiate that. So let's prepare ourselves now. And your patient care report documentation must point to the protocol in writing. So the, you know, the, the writing in that narrative would state that due to protocol number citation, we chose not to transport, you know, whether that be under uh, existing protocol or under uh, communication with command as in conjunction with the protocol, it has to say that. So folks, um, QMC is going to take the um, position here that we do not believe that an addendum on your chart is acceptable for billing retroactive claims. So we want to caution you that it would have had to been in the moment adding an addendum now stating that it was due to protocol in place would be noticed and would raise a flag for audit. So we want to make that very clear, and I'll uh, reinforce that in a minute on, on, on our expectations to you, our clients, um, that we do not believe that an addendum to a chart after the fact, you know, you did the trip in June and now you're going to add it, go back and add an addendum that it was due to protocol um, would, would be a good best practice. We think that's a prohibitive and it's just going to get you into some hot water. So it's safe to say, Chuck, that that alone narrows down the number of claims that could be submitted. Yes, it does. Yeah, sure I, does. I think so. Yeah, and, and yep. that's on the retroactivity of it all. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it, it definitely limits. And, and certainly this is within what we believe um, based on uh, the folks that we talk to and network with and the direct communication from CMS is the intent of this. Or else the GAO would not have scored this low and they would have prepared Congress for the budget hit that was going to happen to the Medicare program. And they have not done that. They made it very clear they're not considering this to be that kind of scenario. And that speaks volumes. It sure does. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Yep. Now, as far as implementation and billing, how we're going to handle that, just to give you a window inside QMC on your behalf. So um, just remember this waiver applies to Medicare fee-for-service or what we call regular Medicare and Medicare Advantage programs. Now, just a caution, if you're a participating provider with one of the Medicare Part Cs, 
the Medicare Advantage, the Medicare HMOs or PPOs, consult your agreement and also share with us if there's any kind of language that would prohibit retroactivity or billing for treatment without transport because your particular participation agreement could state otherwise. So why we say that the Medicare Advantage programs are under this umbrella, there may be language that would prohibit that. So we'd wanna review that um, and, and take a look at that. So just so you know, as far as billing any other payer, um, they may not accept this waiver. So this is not applicable to anything outside of Medicare. So again, we're gonna, you're gonna look at that, you know, and, and because there is a, um, a modifier that we apply that's specific to Medicare uh, that denotes these and calls attention to that. So that modifier may not and probably isn't accepted by most commercial payer uh, processing systems. So what we're talking about today is strictly Medicare. The other payers may or may not pay these, but doesn't fall under the waiver. Um, the payment is allowed for two base rate codes. So what you receive when you bill an ALS-1 emergency using the, uh, the uh, HIXPIX code A0427 or BLS emergency A0429, and this would be based on the EMD or the level of assessment and treatment when you arrive on scene if there is no independent EMD. And that's just how we normally um, decide what level we're gonna bill any other claim. So we will be paid at that rate minus mileage, of course. So there won't be a mileage component because you did not transport. Now, they'll pay the 80%, Medicare will. The Medicare Advantage will pay the fee schedule amount, less the 20% copay, but CMS is actually waiving that copay responsibility and they're encouraging that we not go back and assess that. It doesn't mean you can't. Um, so we're gonna have to make a decision there if you do decide to do it retroactively, but the 20% copay is really discouraged for the retroactive claim. The moving forward claim, if you protocol, and here's another thing I have to say, I have to backtrack for a minute. Um, that new protocol, if it's in place, we think that's probably a limited possibility because we're now on the downside of the infection rate. So reasonably, will your authority that you answer to that sets protocol be enacting new protocols? It's, it's up for debate. We think it's probably lesser of a possibility than certainly it was a year ago. Um, so just keep that in mind as well. But nonetheless, the 20% copay would not be waived on those future, but it would be on the uh, retro. And then if you previously billed to patients as treatment, no transports for these claims, for these treatment in place claims, Keep in mind that we must now refund that money. You have to refund that. I say we, we, the industry, must refund that minus any applicable copay or deductible. You can keep that because now those claims are a Medicare benefit. So just like you can't just go out and bill a patient for a medically necessary transport in normal times, now that this is on the table as a possibility for payment, if you collected that from those patients 
over the past year, and they were TIPs because of the pandemic protocol that was in place. Now we got to go back and review and refund those. And that we're going to have to ask you, and I have another slide, which I'll reinforce that again. We're going to have to ask you to identify those because we may not know those and really have no way of reporting on them. So you would have to review. So if you have done that, you're going to have to tell us, first of all, because we didn't have any collection process for this in place, that you considered treatment in place as TNTs if you build those trips. And now we're going to have to go back and take a look at those. So that's something we're going to reinforce in a minute and talk about again, but I just want to bring up that, that initial point. So what do we need from you as our clients? Well, we need your protocol and you need to send it to us now. So if there is protocol in place, please contact your client success person that you interact with on a regular basis and roll that protocol up to them right away. We need to see it. If it's verbal, talk to your client success representative. Um, we'll have discussion about that. And I'm not going to get into belabor that here because that's a, every one of them could be different. And we're going to have to see what kind of documentation you have before we make a determination whether we feel that we will fly by the uh, compliance uh, rules. Um, and we want to keep you compliant. That is number one here. And I got to say, folks, you know, this is a QMC just saying, ah, you know, uh, we're going to really hold these feet to fire. It's, it's that we want to protect you. And I need to make that point, okay? And I spend a lot of time with the very wonderful uh, compliance team that I serve with. And I must tell you that our discussions are not, oh boy, we're going to get out the ruler and smack you over the knuckles. Uh, no, we're not going to do that, but we are going to protect you. And this is a protection thing, okay? And we need detailed PCRs, direct language, citing why you didn't transport making a strong case for medical necessity. And that's no different than if I talk to you about any other transport, like when uh, Gary and Celeste uh, uh, Plunkett and I do our documentation training sessions, we talk medical necessity documentation. That's, that's billing 101, ladies and gentlemen. But in this case, we're asking you to do that, plus have direct references inciting that you're following protocol and not transporting. The communication, involving around this. Tell us that you wish to build these. How do you wish to build them? Retroactive? Moving forward? We got to make some decisions here, okay? We need to know if you build for TNTs to the patient for these trips over the past 15 months. And are you going to waive the 20% copay amount? We're going to have to have discussions about that. So that communication will be critical moving forward and that's kind of our ask of all of you as our clients, that if you're going to build these, uh, we, need, we need to know those things. And with that, we have covered what we need to cover. Now, that was a quick 30 minutes, and we've packed a lot into that. I don't see any active questions just yet, nope. G, but you may have picked some up uh, that I didn't see. Um, so I'll, I'll pause here. No, I didn't have any questions come in. This is a very smart group today, Chuck. Um, they're on top of things. So, but if you folks do have questions at any point now or after our program, please do not hesitate in uh, dropping us a line. You see the email there, COVID help, uh, which we've had up and running and we'll continue to have it up until sometime after the uh, PHE is over. 
but just drop us a line there. Chuck and I both get those and we'll be glad to respond to you. So uh, don't be backward. It is a little bit of a confusing subject matter. It's one that uh, we've done our best to study, as I noted earlier, and tried to give you the best information we can. Of course, things do change, don't they? Yes. Um, but for fluid. right now, fluid. We, very fluid. We've used that till the, the wings are falling off that word, that's for sure. So, um, but if you do have questions or have needs, uh, don't be afraid to pick up the phone or drop us an email. We're always here to help you. Um, and along those lines, um, I actually had a couple emails here, as I usually do when we have a webinar, people forgot to register and try to get on uh, and I wouldn't let them in, the computer shuts them out. So we are recording this presentation. Should you want uh, the link to it, uh, just drop us a, a line again at uh, COVID help and we'll send you the link. Uh, it's, videos are too big to send via email. So uh, we'll send you the link to our private YouTube channel. You can go in there and take a look at any time. And of course, we always take the audio segment of this, um, any presentation, we put it out there on our podcast channel. Uh, feel free to, to view it at any time. Uh, we're on many of the main uh, podcast channels, including iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Apple uh, uh, Podcasts, and more. Just Google or just take a look and search for QMC, EMS, Board and Caller. And we have, this will be episode number 154. So we've got a lot of things in there to take a look at and uh, feel free to get on there anytime. It's, it's good, uh, good to listen to on the way home. If you have a long drive home from, from work, we're always glad to bring these to you. So with that, I will say thanks to those of you who joined us. Again, happy EMS week and thank you so much for all you do. It means so much to so many. Uh, really does. And the work we do um, is just, uh, uh, you know, we're glad to do it for you to the point that we know how hard it is for all of the services out there to stay afloat. Very, very challenging times. Um, so we hope that we're always a good partner for you. And I'll extend my thanks to my colleague, Chuck. And uh, Chuck, thanks for joining us. Anything closing? No, uh, you know, and just one last thing is we do look forward to this being the opening of the door to possibilities. Um, sure. This kind of change being put in place. So let's play by the rules on this one. Show them that uh, we can we can follow uh, what the guidelines they've set down. And then I think this is going to open the door for us to prove that there are opportunities for us moving forward. So exciting times, folks. Let's look forward to the day where we can uh, uh, have another webinar to tell you that uh, that this kind of thing is going to be uh, wide and going to broaden our horizons for the reimbursement possibility. Absolutely. I think if there is any good that comes from COVID, um, things like telehealth and treat in place, like you said, Chuck, may open a door that's been locked for so many years. So let's hope we're riding the ship, putting it in the right direction and good things to come. So with that, I'll say thanks to everybody else. And Chuck, hey, be safe out there, everybody.